0: Ra,
1: ra. ta runa 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 run tahur kumba kumba nu tahurhara lamba nun ta lamba tara munda run ta munda rum da runda rumda munda lamba munda to Isengard, to guard, the guard. be ringed and barred with doors of stone, the Wisengard be strong and hard and cold as stone and bare as bone we go, we go, we go to war to hew the stone and break the door for bowl and bow are burning now, the furnace roars, we go to war. A land of gloom, with tramp of doom, with roll of drum, we come, we come. To Isendard, with doom, we come, with doom, we come, with doom, we come. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Radio Network. This is the return of the podcast, episode 2.1. This episode was recorded in January of 2007. To begin with, I need to apologize for the way that I left off with Lord of the Rings Radio last year. It was never my intention to end the podcast in the way I did uh, but events in my personal life made it impossible to continue. Uh, suffice it to say that Lord of the Rings radio fell off my radar, so please know that I'm very sorry for the way I handled the podcast. That said, things have settled down now a bit, and toward the end of last year, I started giving thought to continuing with the podcast. I knew I could not produce the podcast in the same way did before, and I realized I had to work on increasing the quality and creating a new format, and this is what I came up with. First, the name of the podcast has changed. There are a few reasons for this, which I'll get to in a minute, but the new title of this podcast is The Return of the Podcast. I think it's a fitting title, even though it may be in danger of confusing a few Star Wars geeks. Uh, Bigger than the name change, though, will be the format change. In the original episodes, I covered three to five topics in each episode. I've decided that the new episodes will only be covering one topic per episode. In each episode I may have a mailbag and a short news or announcement segment, but the bulk of the episode will be devoted to a single topic. Uh, I want to keep the episodes to the same length that I used before, you know, the 20 to 30, probably not much more than 35 minutes, uh, but we'll see how that develops. Also, episodes will now be split into series. Each series will have from 2 to 5 episodes, and all episodes in a series will be at least somewhat related. This allows me to plan a series, put out a few episodes, and then, if I need to, I can take a break before beginning the next series. So while things like character discussions and poetry readings from the original series are gone, they'll be replaced. I may do a series in which each episode is a character discussion, or I could have a series that are all listener-contributed readings. There's a lot of different options uh, that I can do, What I'm excited about the different possibilities that, that we have another change which I'm experimenting with is actually writing out episodes before I record them. In the past, I would just sit down and put my headset on and pull words out from somewhere without any written preparation. I'm not sure if this method will work better or not. At the least it'll be more organized. I just don't want to sound like a robot reading a script. So we'll see how that goes. Let me know. i be interested in hearing your feedback on that. I guess I should also explain here the new episode numbering format. Uh, You know, the first nine episodes, episodes one through nine, uh, were numbered one through nine, and I thought, to continue, I better come up with a new format so I avoid confusion because the first nine episodes will definitely be different than the continuing episodes. So what I did is I made the first nine episodes series one, so they're numbered 1.1 to 1.9, and now... This episode is 2.1, so each series uh, will get a number, 1, 2, 3, 4, and then each episode in that series will get a subset, 2.1, 2.2. So that's how that's going to work. So some of you may be excited about the return of my podcast, but I have even more exciting news for you. The creation of the Lord of the Rings Radio Network. The Lord of the Rings Radio Network is a network of Tolkien-related podcasts. The network has been created by myself and Salome, the creator of Crystal Clear Tolkien. We've decided to partner to create a place where Tolkien fanatics can not only obtain all the Tolkien podcast goodness they can handle, but also have an opportunity to create their own podcasts. Partners in the network remain entirely independent, but gain the advantage of increased promotion and a central place for listeners to get their stuff. What I am most excited about is the fact that we can enable those who may not consider podcasting because of technical difficulties to create their own programs. Whether partners want to commit to a regular podcast or just put out a few episodes or even one, as long as their podcast is token related, we can help. We are just in the beginning stages of this, so details will change and develop. But to begin with, The Lord of the Rings Radio Network consists of two partner members, myself and my podcast, The Return of the Podcast, and Salome with her podcast, Crystal Clear Tolkien. If you want to keep up with developments at the network, or if you're interested in creating your own Tolkien podcast, or contributing in any way, visit our website, lotrradio.com. If you register there, you'll receive emails with episode and event announcements. And of course, we always want your feedback and suggestions. You could submit them at lotrradio.com or send me an email at Wolf at gmail.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-A-W-O-L-F-E at gmail.com. I've mentioned Crystal Clear Tolkien a few times now, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with her podcasts. But if you're not, be sure to go to lotrradio.com or Salem A's website, which is Salemay.Libsyn.org. That's S-I-L-I-M-E dot L-I-B-S-Y-N. and download Crystal Clear Tolkien. Salome puts out a great compact podcast. In each podcast, she attempts to clarify some aspect of Tolkien's work that may be unclear or an issue of contention among Tolkien fans. Salome has a great knowledge of Tolkien's work, and her podcasts are very clean, and she's got great audio quality. Also, she's been a great help with the creation of Lord of the Rings Radio Network, so be sure to listen to Crystal Clear Tolkien. Okay, so I think I have all the news and the announcements out of the way, so we can get on to what this podcast is about, Tolkien. Now, this is series two. This is the first episode in series two. In this series, I'm going to be talking about very broad themes in Tolkien's work. You know, big things that that you know are covered in basically everything he writes. And uh, in this, this first episode, I'm going to talk about heroism. It's a huge thing, and it's going to be a... a big task to tackle but we're going to dissect it here and see what we can come up with ever since I was a kid I always found heroism very appealing I always loved the stories where the you know the hero saves the day you know those kind of movies books you know TV shows they really affected me and you know I not only loved to watch that kind of stuff you know I daydreamed a lot and that's what I dreamt about about being a hero about saving the day and, you know, it seems kind of weird to talk about it now. It's almost kind of embarrassing, like, well, you shouldn't be daydreaming dreams like that. And I don't know why I get that feeling. It just seems kind of odd. But we don't need to get real deep into my psychology, because that's a scary, scary place to go. But, you know, the reason I chose heroism is because it's it's been a real important theme in my life, and it's something I, I like and I like to talk about. And, of course, in Tolkien's work, heroism is everywhere. Before we get much further, we should talk about the terms heroism and hero and define them, I guess, for this conversation. When I when I use the word hero, I'm not talking about a hero as in the way a lot of people use it today, as in someone they admire or or like. A hero for this conversation is only someone who commits a heroic act. And what's a heroic act? Well, I think a heroic act is made up of three things. The first thing is you either have to be doing some good or averting some evil, and that's probably the most important aspect. You know that, That's what a heroic act is. It's doing good. So that's probably the most important thing. The second thing is degree of difficulty, I think. I think a, a heroic act has to be hard, and it doesn't have to be just hard in general. It has to be hard for the individual, because of course people have different abilities. For an act to be truly heroic, I think it has to be, you know, near to someone's maximum ability. Take, for example, there's a baby drowning, and uh, a five-year-old goes in and saves the baby from drowning. You know, that is pretty amazing. You know, it's pretty big deal for a five-year-old to do something like that. That's pretty close, or even beyond, their ability. You know, so that is a huge heroic deed. You know, a 30-year-old saving someone from drowning, I would say it's still a heroic deed, but the 5-year-old doing it is certainly more notable and probably a greater heroic deed. So I think that a deed being difficult doesn't in itself make it heroic, but it does, you know, increase how notable or how remarkable a heroic deed is. And the third thing to make up a heroic deed is intent. I think... Can't commit a heroic act without intending to. And part of that is because of the difficulty thing. I mean, it, you can't do difficult things by accident. You know, and you can't, you're not a hero if something you do just happens to help someone else. Not that that's not a good thing, it's just not heroic. And when I say you have to intend it, I don't mean that it has to be premeditated. You know, if you're put in a situation, that you didn't expect, and you're faced with doing something, you know, heroic. You know that there is where your intent is. At that moment, you decide, well, I need to do this so I can save this person or, or whatever. You know, in that moment, you intend to do something heroic. You don't have to have a, a preconception of of doing it. You know, if because a lot of heroes, I think, in real life, are thrown into these situations you know, out of nowhere, and they had no, no real expectation of doing anything heroic, you know, when they woke up in the morning, but it just turned out that way. And that is heroic. But my point is, you can't do a heroic act accidentally. So now that we have heroic acts defined, we need to talk about why Tolkien used them in his work so much, because they're all over the place. And that may seem like a stupid question, with the obvious answer of, because heroic acts make the story interesting but we could go beyond that and ask well why are humans so interested in heroics and I don't think the answer to that is quite so obvious when you look at Tolkien's work and the heroic acts that are in his work you know most of them are dangerous most of them the hero is risking his life to cause good or to avert evil and that brings up the question of why would you risk your own life to save someone else You know, and I'm of the belief that altruism in humans is very rare. Now, there's lots of altruism in Tolkien's work. I think a lot of people, a lot of his characters, do things with no thought of how they may benefit themselves. But in my experience, you don't see altruism in everyday life very often. So why does someone risk their life to benefit someone else? You know, especially if they may die and if you're dead of course you see no benefits so why does someone do something that would have no positive effect to themselves and depending on your religious beliefs you may look at this in different ways you know if you stake it from a scientific evolutionary standpoint if you have a group of individuals and any one individual in that group is inclined to do something heroic that will benefit the whole group, but may end their own life, that group becomes stronger, becomes more fit, because they can survive more different obstacles, because one person out of the group might do something to save the rest. And I don't know if scientifically that stands up, but that's just something that popped into my head right now. And if you look at things from a religious standpoint, it could be that our Creator You know, gave us these feelings that don't exactly make sense when you talk about evolutionary terms. You know, things like love and altruism, you know, and from altruism, heroism. You know, it could just be that our Creator gave us these feelings because they're good things to have. And, you know, we feel they're good things because our Creator wanted us to feel that way. I think as a society, we hold altruism right up at the top of the list of ideals. Right up with love that a good person should have. And that's probably declined somewhat in the last 50 or 100 years. I don't know. It seems like altruism isn't valued as much as maybe it once was. And I don't know that from experience, but it just seems that way. So altruism is set up as this high ideal, this trait that to be a great person, you have to have. It's not optional. To be great, you have to have altruism, you know, at some level or another. And, you know, it's it's similar with love. You know, to be a great person, you have to have those two things, along with some other things, but those two are required. You know, so when we, you know, it's the same reason we find love stories appealing, because you know, those are things that we desire to have in our own lives, you know, just like altruism, and they're difficult. You know, both of those two things are difficult to make happen in your life. It's not exactly native Maybe it is native, but it doesn't seem native to me, those two feelings. So when we see someone, whether it's in a book or in a movie or on a TV show, accomplish these things, you know, that person is appealing to us. We want to be like that hero or like that person in the story. And I guess that's part of the reason that heroism is so appealing to us. It's because it's difficult, because it's not native to us, and because in our society it is a trait that you must have to be a great or even a good person. Okay, so I don't know if any of that made sense or if I did a good job answering any of those questions. Uh, if there's anybody out there screaming at me right now that I forgot something or, or you have an idea, please you know go ahead and submit them. I'd, I'd like to hear your ideas on this topic. But I guess it's 15 minutes into the episode, and I haven't talked a whole lot about Tolkien, so I better get right to it. What I'm going to do now is talk about individual characters in Tolkien's work, and the type of heroic acts they do, and uh, the different types of heroes there are in a lot of different literature. And I'll start with the obvious character, Frodo, from Lord of the Rings. When you look at Frodo's character... I mean, what's obvious is that he's a hobbit and hobbits aren't really very good at much when it comes to heroic acts. They're not warriors, they don't use magic, you know, they're not strong or fast or skilled. That makes it very easy for readers to relate to Frodo and, and to all the hobbits because, you know, I don't have any great skills, I'm not a warrior and I don't know any magic and I'm not really great at anything. But, you know, I have the same skill level that Frodo had. And, of course, that was intentional. You know, Tolkien wrote the Hobbits to be related to by the reader. You know, they wanted... Tolkien wanted the reader to put themselves in the place of the Hobbits. And, you know... And that's a common trait for a central hero to have. To be just the ordinary person that's put into an extraordinary situation. And that's exactly why, because it's easy for the reader to relate to that hero. But I think as far as the story goes, you know, Frodo had to fail just because if he was able just to toss the ring into the cracks of doom, that would have trivialized you know every other struggle they had up to that point and made that seem kind of unnecessary. So we have Frodo as this fallible hero. And I want to compare him to Boromir because they're both fallible heroes. They're both heroes that fail. But there are a few key differences. Now, in Boromir's story, I mean, he's certainly a hero. But he is ultimately overcome by desire to have the ring, which Frodo, in the end, is ultimately overcome by the same thing. The difference is, you know, Frodo, you look at Frodo and what faults does Frodo have? Well, you know, I can't really name any. The reason he couldn't give up the ring was because he bore the ring for so long, and this evil influence just kind of overtook him. Now you look at Boromir, and Boromir certainly had faults, you know, Boromir was prideful. Boromir wanted this power, and while he may have wanted this power to do what he thought would have been good, you know, the desire for that power was still a negative trait. So Boromir is a fallible hero just like Frodo, but Boromir is a fallible hero that has these obvious faults. So, Boromir should be classified as a tragic hero. He's a hero that has these tragic faults that ultimately bring his demise. Some people may contend that is not a hero at all. You know, he tried to take the ring and then he fails at saving Merry and Pippin, but I don't think that's the case. I think Boromir's story is very appealing because... While he tried to take the ring, he, in the end, saw the error of his ways and attempt to redeem himself in a glorious way, and which I think in the movie was downplayed too much. You know, I I was really looking forward to Boromir's ending, and I expected something a little more dramatic than what we got. But anyway, you know, he he redeemed himself, and stories of redemption are big with me too. You know, a hero that fails in one way, but then ends his life trying to redeem himself. I think that's a really appealing story. And Boromir is one of my favorite characters and one of my favorite heroes in Tolkien's work. So Tolkien presents us with Frodo and Boromir, which are two fallible heroes. And in his stories, and I'm concentrating on Lord of the Rings here, he also has some infallible heroes, namely uh, Aragorn and Gandalf, and possibly Sam. We're going to talk about those three now. now. I'll start with Aragorn because I think he is the clearest example of an infallible hero never reading the story never do you get this idea that there's any possibility that anything Aragorn does will fail now that doesn't mean that he is a perfect individual I mean Tolkien does show us that Aragorn had self-doubt and he wasn't always sure of his decisions but as a reader you know I don't ever have any doubt in Aragorn. I mean, I always feel that uh, he will save the day. And I think part of that is the way we're introduced to him, the way the hobbits are introduced to him. You know, with, he's their savior, and they, they have to put all of their faith in him, otherwise they'll never make it to Rivendell. You know, so I think Aragorn is, is a clear example of an infallible hero, because never in, in all the things that he does in The Lord of the Rings... Do the readers, or at least did I, feel that he would have any chance of failing? And I think that Gandalf's character is very similar to Aragorn's. In both The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, he was sort of the safety blanket. I mean, in The Hobbit, whenever he was with the dwarves and with Bilbo, you always felt that they were safe. You know, they might get into scrapes and close calls, but if Gandalf was there, they would always be okay. Now, in Lord of the Rings, Tolkien does introduce some insecurities with our feelings about Gandalf. You know, he was detained by Sauron, and then, of course, in the Mines of Moria, he falls. And you can look at that and say, well, how can you call him infallible if, you know, he's defeated? Well, I wouldn't say that Sauron defeated him, and I wouldn't say that the Balrog, of course, he didn't defeat him. You know, at the time, you could say, well, he was fallible because he fell, but you know, when he comes back and reveals that he defeated the Balrog and he's back and better than ever, you know, I think it's pretty clear that Gandalf's an infallible character. And from that point on, you know, you don't have a whole lot of doubt in him. Now, there was the point, you know, when the, the Witch King rides through the gates of Gondor, which you would have loved to have seen what, what would have happened there. You know, there maybe was a hint of doubt, but I think overall, Gandalf is pretty clearly an infallible hero. So now we come to Sam, and his character is a little more complex. In the beginning, I was going to classify him as an infallible hero, but when I think about it more, I'm not so sure I can do that. I mean, he succeeds in every way in doing what he has to do to get the ring destroyed. But that's not exactly what Sam's quest was from the beginning. I mean, Sam went along with Frodo to protect Frodo, to save Frodo. And while the end result is yeah Frodo lives and he's saved and there are a couple spots where Sam you know did fail and not through any fault of his own other than the fact that he wasn't a great warrior you know he he failed to to save Frodo from Shelob and then he failed to realize that Frodo was just paralyzed and you know ultimately that decision got Frodo captured by the orcs now Sam does redeem himself and and go into the tower of Cirith Ungol and rescue Frodo but I don't think you know, because of those missteps, I don't know if you can call him infallible. You know, I I was gonna call him infallible because I thought it'd be interesting, well you know, Sam, this very imperfect and not great super powerful creature like Gandalf and Aragorn are, you know, he's an infallible hero because he never fails. Well, he kinda does. So he's a little more complicated. So I would call him kind of uh almost infallible in the fact that, you know, if I was going on a quest, I would want him with me, because I know he's going to do everything he possibly can. Well, that may not always be enough. You know, you can't really fault him for that. Okay, well, I could keep going about different characters and different heroic characters in Tolkien's work, you know, again, because there are just so many of them. And to talk about the characters in the Silmarillion is, is interesting, too, because there are so many different examples and so many different types and variations that we could go on and on and on. But more than that, I want to talk a little bit more about why Tolkien used heroes so much, why we don't see that so much anymore, and why that's kind of a bad thing. Now I think there's a supreme shortage of heroes in our society. And I'm from the U.S., as you probably know, so maybe things are different elsewhere. And, you know, you can find heroes in books. Always you can. But you look at the mass media, what the most of people get, whether it's TV or movies, you know, and you don't see the same type of heroic stories in mass media that you saw, you know, even when I was growing up. And I think that's a really bad thing. You can get them in books, But I just, you know, I saw a story on the internet the other day. 80% of American households neither read or bought a book last year. And that is scary. To think that 80% of people in this country get their intellectual stimulation, what little they get, from the TV. That is really scary. And you don't see, you know, even like growing up, I watched MacGyver great story, you know, you watch it now and it seems kind of simple, but, you know, MacGyver was my hero, and that may sound silly, but, you know, I think he was a great role model to have, and I don't think you see that, you know, certainly not on TV anymore, and that's a really sad thing, because I think what Tolkien does in his stories, he gives us these examples of what great people can and should be, you know, what you should strive for, you know, you should, Think altruistically, you should think, well what can I do to help someone else? What can I do to prevent something bad to happen? And it doesn't have to be something huge like happens in the Lord of the Rings. It can be small things. And you just don't see examples of that anymore. I mean, everything on TV, you know, it has to be so real. And you know, we've lost the fantasy in, you know, popular mass media. We lost things. You know, people I don't know if they think that stories like what tolkien wrote are too childish or not complicated enough for modern people or what but that is totally the wrong way to think you know i i know you look at the story of the lord of the rings and it seems unbelievable and that's you know one of the great things about tolkien is he takes his story which on face value looks like that's not possible when you're reading it it's real i mean that you're like, yeah, that could happen, you know, with this totally fantastical thing, and he makes it real, and we've lost that, you know, modern mass media does not have that anymore, we've lost our heroes, and, you know, that's really sad, and, you know, I'm doing my best to make sure my son, you know, grows up, you know, exposed to things like Lord of the Rings, and stories like that, where there are just true, pure heroes, people that do things totally for someone else. And that's something you don't get from TV, and I don't think you're going to ever get it from TV again. And I think that's really important, because to dream heroic dreams you know, makes heroes. There's a quote uh, by Benjamin Disraeli. Let me find it here. He says, Nurture your minds with great thoughts. To believe in the heroic makes heroes. And I believe supremely in that. You know, i i love the idea of heroic stories i love the idea of of kids dreaming that you know maybe someday they can do something heroic and i think that's important that's what everybody should have and i think you can get that from tolkien you know as everyone listening to this probably already knows you know tolkien is chock full of it and it's it's a great thing to get out of tolkien Well, there's certainly a lot more I could talk about when it comes to heroism and Tolkien's work, Uh, but my voice is starting to go, so I'm going to wrap up the episode here. Now, if there's anything that I missed, or if you want to make comments on my comments, or if there's something I forgot, I want to hear it. uh, You can go to lotrradio.com and submit your comments there, or you can email me at aaronawolf at gmail.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-A-W-O-L-F-E at gmail.com. Also, I want to apologize again for the long delay between episodes. I am sorry for that, and I hope to get things down to a more regular basis now. I want to remind you about Lord of the Rings Radio Network. Go to lotrradio.com and check us out. And There's going to be new developments there you know, in fairly short order, so make sure to keep an eye on it. And also want to encourage anyone to contribute who might be inclined to do so you know we are looking for um, audio contributors whether you want to do uh, a whole podcast a regular podcast or if you want to do an episode or just a poetry reading or that kind of thing you know we're looking for all of it we've got some good contributions already and we're looking forward to getting more it seems like a fairly popular idea so hopefully it'll take off so that's lotrradio.com also don't forget to check out crystal clear Tolkien. you can get that at the same website and uh, thanks for listening oh, what shall we do with the funny little things oh, what shall we do with the funny little things Roast them alive, or stew them in a pot, and fry them, boil them, eat them hot, bake and toast them, fry and roast them till beards glaze and eyes glaze, till hair swells and skins crack, and melts and bones, black in cinders lie beneath the sky, so the so war shall die! Fifteen birds, in time for trees, their feathers were fed. In a fiery breeze, but funny little birds, they had no wings. Oh, what shall we do with the funny little things? Oh, what shall we do?